So um, retreat practice can be hard, if you haven't noticed. Uh, meditation practice can be hard. I think we could say that having a mind and having a body is hard. Uh, if we're willing to be uh, honest, so since we all have a mind and a body, we're sort of uh, subject to this ordeal of learning how to work with that situation. That's really the the Buddhist path. The practice of, of meditation. Maybe maybe that's the path and practice of any spiritual tradition. Maybe that's the path and practice of all the clinical uh, Western modes of understanding and healing and repairing. So whatever system or systems we subscribe to, this seems to be uh, the task of the human life is to understand uh, difficulty, pain, uh, and how to resolve it to some extent the best that we the best that we can. So this is the first noble truth, dukkha. Uh, simply that this is uh, part of the fabric of a human life, and this is the third noble truth of cessation, referring to the possibility of alleviation, lessening, reduction. Of course, the Buddhist tradition conveys the high ideal of extinguishing dukkha altogether. So there's some interesting, very personal questions within this, though we share this common ground, and for each of us, uh, if we choose, we could orient toward this common goal of freedom. Though it's also very personal, right? It's very, uh, it's very individual. And I really love the simple question, why, are, why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? This is the, one of the questions I offered on night one after we had just arrived and started to get settled in. What's your intention? Why are you here? What do you really want to get from this retreat? And what do you really want to get from this meditation practice? And maybe what do you really want to get from this life? One of the reasons I like working with George is because he orients many of his teachings around the concept of a meaningful life, which is an inquiry and a process that extends itself outside of the meditation hall. Since my late teens, I've been personally engrossed in this question. I tend to use the language um, purposeful life. What is it, what is that like to 
in my own words, identify clearly one's own values, what is most important or essential, and how is it that we translate that into real actions so that our inner values and our outer forms of existence or living are completely aligned. <clears throat> For me, this work is one answer to the question, how do we relieve suffering? So retreat practice is very difficult. We never totally resolve these questions. We answer some of them, and it creates a kind of space. It creates room. And we hope that, uh, and we think often, that we have the difficulty behind us. And really what we find out, uh, both in terms of our life questions, but also in terms of pain in the body, the kind of emotional uh, challenges we can adore that as soon as we cross one high mountain pass you know we have a little bit of time to cruise on the plateau and the temperature is just right and you know then we turn a corner and it's like wow there's another really steep hill you know so we've created we've created some space so that we can into our new challenge and should we confront that with some support and help and skill and effort and uh, we can we can learn how to climb that climb that hill too so the practice is not only hard the practice is not only difficult right and uh, and I I believe that you know this also I believe that if you're also honest about this aspect of your experience, there are moments of ease. There is some beauty. Maybe there's some beauty in the way you endure the final 20 minutes of a sit when you thought you couldn't endure even a moment more. There's some uh, strength in a sense, in a very ordinary way. There's some capacity that we connect in with, our own ability, just by being here. <clears throat> just by the choice alone to come, the choice hour after hour to walk through the door to sit again, we can see, if we're paying attention, our own determination to be to understand ourselves, to become more wise. Maybe we can see, if we're paying attention, over and over our own determination to contribute in a positive way to the world, which has so much suffering in it. So one of the questions I have for you this morning is simply, uh, are you paying attention to that part of yourself? It's very easy to notice the suffering, isn't it? It's, uh, it's so easy. <clears throat> I think the long path of Buddhist training uh, is learning to attend to, it is 
learning to place our attention on well-being, on the inherent wholesome intentions that we hold. Now we understand that this is what we're doing technically when we meditate. We are literally learning where and how to place our attention. Is it on sensation in the body? Is it on the breath? Is it on uh, the metaphrase? Or are we starting to recognize what intention to be kind feels like? So can we rest our attention there? And when metta starts to flower, we're learning how to rest our attention there. Maybe we even drop the phrases. Someone was saying this morning that they found it very useful to drop the phrases and metta just flowered. Now I will say that that's because there had been continuity and uh, that person was probably working effectively with the hindrances and they were in a place in the practice where it was suitable to let go of the phrases. So we bring all kinds of ideas to retreat, we bring all kinds of ideas to our meditation practice, and but we really don't know what's going to happen, do we? We really don't know what will happen when we get here, and, and I think one of the things that I'd like to say this morning uh, I guess it's kind of a reminder or a permission or an invitation uh, to remember to know that you don't know and you can't know what will happen and so just just letting that go I just, just letting that go entirely. How could we actually even know what this should look like or feel like in order to get the benefit that we would want, that we do want? How could we possibly understand how this should look? None of us are that smart. It's actually not a matter of intelligence. Uh, we just simply don't know. We've never been here. We've never done this retreat. And secondly, for those of you who have sat retreat, there's a reminder, an invitation, a permission to use the skills you've developed on past retreats. Use the skill you develop in your home meditation and at the Urban Dharma Center But don't bring the impression of prior retreats to this retreat. Don't think even that you can take that experience and build on it uh, in a predictably linear way. Let this be totally different. Have you ever been to a foreign country where uh, your language is not spoken and the food is unfamiliar and the temperature is unfamiliar and the wildlife and the critters and the bugs are unfamiliar. How things function, how, you, know, and, you know, the way in which things get done, the speed in which get, things get done and you just, 
You know that you can't control it. You know that. And so you surrender completely. And you have an adventure, right? And you come back and you realize your perspective is entirely changed. Entirely changed. Right? So this is a this is a, a grand adventure. A retreat is a we're going to a, a very far away place in a sense. And it's not always going to be easy. Having a mind and body is not easy. And when we eliminate all the forms of entertainment, all of the distractions, and all of the healthy elements of our life, friendship, work, connecting with people for coffee, planting flowers, taking out the trash, answering email, when we take away all the usual elements of our daily life, we're simply confronted with the bare essence of our mind and body. And so we feel more, we notice more. We're up against more the obstruction between awareness and mind and body is sometimes not there. And so we have to be with ourselves. And we need to remember that that's the point, that that's what we've signed up for. That's the country we've uh, bought a plane ticket for. So we're just very open, just very open attitudinally. And you're at the, there are these moments where, where we uh, glimpse our sanity. There are moments where we, we glimpse uh, the beauty of life. It might just be closing the cabin door early in the morning to head over to the meditation hall. And the temperature feels not too hot and not too cold. And you know, Maybe you see the way the angle of the morning sun divides the slope of the mountain in half and it wakes you up and you're just clear. The mind is just clear and you appreciate that for a moment. Or you're having a difficult morning or you're having a difficult day and there's grief. There's difficult memories from the past. There's all the things that you haven't done or might not do in the future and the mind is caught up in trying to sort that out. <coughs> and the bell rings and you stand up and there's just a moment, it's very brief, maybe two and a half seconds, and you just see in a very simple way your life in a way such that it's reframed just like that. You just, you just oh, that's how it is. That's how it is. And there's this kind of knowing that comes through. Like, oh, that's how it is. And there it is, a new perspective, a new angle on something. Maybe that's all we need. Maybe 
maybe we just need to collect these small moments of understanding, clear seeing, well-being. Maybe if we practice long enough, um, we can collect them and kind of put them in a bucket and the, and the bucket will keep filling up and we'll have more knowledge, we'll have more uh, ready access to kindness. short poem. It is time to put down certain stories, the ones that find consolation in the usual tricks, in the ways we have grown custom, the tales that know nothing of the mist and clouds that descend into the mountain pass just before the sun rises. Are you aware that dawn occurs every day? Are you aware that dawn occurs every day? I mean, do you really know? So in a sense, the only problem often is that we're not having the experience we want. Um, which is a, really, in a sense, um, a momentary lapse of remembering that we, what we want is to wake up. Which doesn't require us to have what we want or even what we think we need. So this is part of right view in terms of learning how to meditate, in terms of learning how to be on retreat and hold it in a way that it becomes a success. And so we also have to be careful for the mind that self-judges, self-criticism. You know, my last retreat went like this and now, now this. Last retreat, the two people scheduled to sleep in my room never showed up and I had my own room. You know, and now I have, you know, Billy and Bozo for roommates. <laughs> if it wasn't for Billy and Bozo, actually my meditation would be much better. <laughs> It's just that Bozo has really big feet. <laughs> or we compare. You know, it's useful on retreat to remind ourselves, well, we don't know what's happening in other people's experience. You know, that person over in the corner who never moves, who you've determined is all blissed out. <laughs> Sergeant Meta <coughs> over in the left corner, Captain John are in the front right. <laughs> you talk to them after retreat and you realize they had the hardest retreat they've ever had in their life. 
the judging mind, comparing mind comes up a lot on retreat, right? Notice how the comparing mind always has you less than? And usually, you know. <laughs> Leave a little space for the I'm better than comparing mine to. <laughs> so careful for judgment. Uh, you know, we don't talk about it necessarily as a as a as a hindrance, but. You know, I'm staying a little bit away. I'm staying away from the traditional maps and models today, and just you know, what is it like to be on retreat? So there's judgment, isn't there? Sometimes you judge your ability, you judge your body, you judge how tired you are, you judge other people, other yogis, the teachers, the people cooking the food. But mostly we, we, we judge ourselves, we're, we're critical. And I wonder where the criticism comes from. I, I, I think in part it's cultural. I don't see it so much uh, in some other countries where I've spent time. It's, it seems to be, I, I don't think it doesn't exist elsewhere, but it seems to be there's a unique Western flavor of it that can be pretty paralyzing that, that can show up on retreat. So I wonder how much of this has to do uh, with the fact that we don't remember the first noble truth, dukkha. Your, your sloth and torpor and your grief and your sadness and your physical pain Even the ordinary confusion around uh, adapting new teachings and techniques and being proficient at them right away. This is actually just the stuff of life. This is the stuff of being a human being. Most people in the world would never even do what we're doing. Like the, the the capacity, the capacity to be in this room, sitting and walking all day long, is a profound strength, a profound skill. It's, ama it's amazing, actually, in a certain kind of way. This is called walk slowly. That only takes a reminder to breathe. That only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still, and just like that, something in me settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and I remember again that life isn't a relay race that we will all cross the finish line, 
that waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as I forget, catch myself charging forward without even knowing where I'm going, that many times I can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and be, and walk slowly into the mystery. So how we progress on this path, uh, the Buddhist path, uh, the path of uh, cultivating metta, the path of cultivating and attaining wisdom and awakening, Nibbana, is a gradual path. It's, uh, there are linear maps and models, but uh, it's typically not going to feel that way sort of two steps forward, one step back, five steps back, one step forward, six giant leaps forward, two steps back. Some of us will come into the whole tradition or path at the beginning of our practice and have tremendous success or insight, or we understand the techniques very quickly. And then uh, maybe plateau, and for a couple of years it doesn't seem like there's a lot of change. And this, this basic way of thinking about practice and development can be applied to any retreat. Some people come into you know, meta retreats, Aka Lake, 2016, and on day two, you know, <clears throat> wow, I think I know what I think I know what you might mean by, by pure metta. And then other people, you know, they come to the practice and, you know, outside of wearing the cool t-shirts and going to meditation on Wednesday nights, it seems like, you know, eight years into it, there's very little comprehension. It's like, what's wrong with me? You know? My relationships aren't changing. I, I meditate and I don't get very concentrated. And then um, all the seeds they've planted come together and they have a really formative retreat or they, they line up with a teacher who can articulate the practice in a way that really helps them develop understanding. We don't know. We don't know what it, we don't know what it will look like. The, the, the Buddha offered a very simple uh, quadrant map to try to explain this. He said that some people come into the world with an extraordinary amount of suffering. Extraordinary amount of suffering. And uh, their practice, their transformation, their change, the alleviation, uh, the cultivate, the alleviation of pain, the cultivation of understanding and wisdom happens extremely slowly. So in this quadrant we have extraordinary suffering in this lifetime and slow growth. That's the quadrant we don't want to be born into. And there's another quadrant where also uh, those born there have extraordinary suffering in this lifetime, but the growth is actually pretty fast. And then over on the other side of the chart, uh, there are folks 
assumedly, who have a little bit of suffering. And uh, their path of progress is very, very slow. And there's the upper quadrant on that side that contains those who were born into this lifetime with very little suffering. And the uh, path is quite quick. So it's a, it's a, there's a correlate here to the karma teachings. We don't have a choice. We just arrive in one of those quadrants in this lifetime. So we could say there's a correlate to equanimity practice. We just, oh, so okay, so here I am in this quadrant and, uh, or, or, you know, in this lifetime, or here I am in this quadrant on this, this retreat and we sort of give up. We give up control in a sense. And it's okay, look, this is this is my lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna tend to it. I'm gonna tend to it. There's no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground The only safety lies in letting it all be. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and successes. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. So the meditation instructions are clear. They're simple. They'll stay quite simple. We'll um, we'll give some choices in the coming days for folks who are staying here through the end to continue to do some metta. There'll be a choice to move into vipassana for people. For you know, maybe some people are are going to choose that because they'll be leaving. And so we'll. We'll elaborate a little bit, but for the most part, you get the flavor. So what else do we need? What else do we need um, besides these techniques? We need intention. Intention, in a sense, is is what we do or what we want to do. It's uh, learning, learning to incline the mind, learning to incline the mind uh, toward life in a particular way, toward 
personal freedom or toward kindness or toward compassion toward the generosity born of wisdom so this is the same question from earlier in the talk it's the same question from the first day of retreat why are you here what's your intention maybe there are multiple intentions maybe they change day to day and there's the intention to place your attention on the object of meditation in every moment. So there's that level of intention. I intend to come back to metta when I'm caught up in thought about the future or replaying an old story from the past. So I intend to return to the object And we have the methods, so we have the intentions, and we have the methods. How we accomplish, how we accomplish our intentions, practically speaking. These are the forms, these are the techniques. We, we are silent. We do walking meditation for all sentient beings. We do metta for self and we use a simple phrase may I be peaceful and we do metta for benefactors may you be peaceful so we have intention we have method and we also have attitude sort of the third element to this. We have an attitude. The attitude is how we accomplish our intention. Attitudinally. Some of us uh, informally on night one before we went into silence we're talking about uh, this place in Ojai that uh, I noticed in the parking lot uh, where I was there were some stores I was trying to find some cheap flip-flops I was told the showers weren't very clean here I should have some flip-flops so I found some that said, are you ready to rock and roll? <laughs> and they were $4.99. <laughs> and they fit pretty good. But given that they said, are you ready to rock and roll, I figured they didn't have to fit perfect. <laughs> and when I came out of the store, I noticed uh, another store, and it said, the liquor store attitude adjustment shop. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny and also really sad, in a sense. But, um, you know, so the balanced mind can see it, but you know, just take, yeah, funny, oh, kind of sad. And it's quite a statement about our culture. Retreat is kind of an attitude adjustment 
workshop in a sense. The attitudes that we unconsciously are subject to and allow in daily life uh, benefit from being challenged on retreat. And uh, when we do that, we bring back new attitudes into our daily life and we hold life uh, a little bit differently, maybe lighter. Maybe more receptive, maybe more open. So here, and you'll notice this list is not different than the list of attributes that might be useful for anything you want to accomplish. But uh, and this is just my list. It's I can't cite this necessarily. But we need an attitude of um, let's just call it a real interest, uh, desire to learn. Like just in really simple, plain language. My guess is that you have this attitude pretty well intact. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be engaged in the kind of classes you take at your local Dharma center. You wouldn't be mentoring with your teachers and a willingness to learn. Um, do you keep it close by on retreat when things are difficult? Or does it get uh, covered over by the judgment or the grief or the struggle to understand the new technique? So the willingness or the desire to learn, the desire to change, this, uh, this trumps being comfortable. This trumps, it needs to trump our having things go our way. Right? Things aren't going today the way I, by day three, I should be totally blissed out. <laughs> my sleep should have adjusted. I should feel really good in my body. But maybe something else is happening. Do you want to be comfortable or do you want to learn? How many lives do you think you have? What uh, cosmic and incarnation model do you subscribe to? There are many such models out there and I can't validate and choose not to validate any one of them personally and so I'm left to assume that this is my one shot, this life. I plan to sit retreat every year, and I've done a really good job of holding that intention. So I'll sit retreat again next year, if my health allows me, if something more tragic hasn't happened. So how are you going to sit this retreat? How much do you want to learn? How much do you want to grow? What kind of a... How do you want to go back to your family and to your partner and to your job? Do you want to be half kind? Or do you want to be totally kind? 
Do you want to be half selfless or totally selfless? I'm reading a book right now by, uh, in my estimation, a brilliant uh, physician, uh, neurosurgeon, neuroscientist, uh, arguably the highest ranking physician in the medical field. A person who uh, studied English literature at the undergrad level went on to study English literature and biology and the history of medicine at the graduate level and then went on to get a medical degree in uh, neurosurgery, neuroscience. And uh, during residency received uh, an unusual amount of national recognition and prestigious awards and before they had finished the residency uh, without applying uh, most of the major uh, medical uh, uh, teaching hospitals in the country uh, including all those attached to Ivy League schools were fighting over him and uh, offering outlandish offers and, and then and then saying, is there anything else we can do to make this more attractive? And he wrote at a certain point, um, you know, that he had reached the highest peak you know, in his profession. He was, I forget how he framed it, but he was the man with a capital T-M. I think he was 34 or 35 years old. He had planned his life out. He would uh, direct, he would found and direct with an unlimited amount of money a uh, uh, clinical research center. He would uh, direct it for 20 years and then he would take 20 years to write. He was in a happy marriage, and they decided to have a child. And, uh, despite some complications, his wife got pregnant. And at 36 years old, he was dead of cancer. We need a willingness, we need a desire to engage right now, today, in this moment, and have a relationship to the experience that's being offered to us. This is waking up. In a sense, this is getting the fullness of life. This is the only thing we can control. This is the only thing we have any power over. This moment 
is your opportunity to be fully alive. And if one of your many goals is being awake, this is the only way to do it. We're going to also need then a curiosity to investigate. We're going to need a curiosity, which is investigative. The curiosity is open and receptive. This is the quality of mind that is willing to try to receive what's happening. And the investigation or the investigative quality of mind is the part of the mind that seeks to know that explores. So we need a willingness, a desire to learn. We need a curiosity that's investigative. And we need an ease or a lightness coupled with effort. The effort I've already spoken about, this is perseverance and continuity. It's just the staying quality of practice. It's the staying quality of practice. It's not pushing or striving, that's what I want to emphasize. It's not running as fast as you can. It's just doing it. And the ease is the, is the, it's the lightness, oh. Wow, another 21 minute gap of Mindfulness. I still love myself. Wow, wasn't that funny? I've been meditating for 20 years. And I just sat for an hour and thought about chocolate brownies. Wow. <laughs> so funny. I think that's when we're doing well in our practice. It might not look like it. But the more I practice, the lighter I am of myself. I am often laughing at myself inside. Wow. <laughs> my mind just did that. That was my mind. Julia and I went for a, Julia and I went for a swim, and we were sitting on the turd platform. <laughs> getting some sun and we're you know it's time to go back and there was a moment it, it, Julia jumped in the water and there's a moment my, my mind went if I don't jump right in she'll get to the shore before I and she'll have to she'll have to wade through all that algae and muck and growth stuff and she'll clear a path for me <laughs> I said, wow, <laughs> my mind just did that. <laughs> and there's something so useful about being in community and being exposed to these teachings, and that's why I sit a lot of retreat and 
go to the Dharma Center a lot and read a lot and teach a lot. It's like because I'm like, you know, like the next thought was, you're on a meta retreat. <laughs> <laughs> and then the thought after that was, you're teaching a meta <laughs> I went through the muck first, by the way. So lastly, we need to have uh, interest and aspiration. This is just a slight adaptation of intention. I have to have an aspiration to live differently. So this means all your usual ways of doing things don't apply here. Most of them the unwholesome, unskillful ones, the ones that we're trying to train away from. So this is a big experiment, and it can be quite, it can be quite joyful. You can laugh at yourself, take yourself lightly. This is not really a, a talk about the loftier, esoteric teachings of enlightenment and non-self and impermanence. But I will say that your, your, your mind is not your fault. You are subject to its ways, but it's not your fault. It's just how it is. And we can't even blame it on our parents, and we can't even blame it on our grandparents. Because it's even, it's more complex than that. I like to talk about cultural conditioning, familial conditioning. It's fine to do that. It's relevant. But it's more complicated than that. But the practice is not complicated. The way out is simple. And so we invite you to try the simple techniques, continuously practice. Maybe you endeavor for an extra 20 minutes till 10.20 in the evening because surprisingly you have a lot of energy. And maybe you're really gentle and kind to yourself. You sort of tend to a little a little child within yourself when you're exhausted and you go sit and have a cup of tea or you go for a swim or you pat yourself on the back at 10 o'clock and go to bed. So you just sit and you walk and you say metaphrases, eat some food, 
come back, sit and walk. No big deal. Go to sleep, wake up in the morning, come back, do it again. Notice the boredom. Boredom, by the way, is just the awareness that time is passing. It's not a problem. You get hungry, you eat. You get full, you go to the bathroom, you go back, you do more meditation, you walk again. That's all. So I'll end here with a poem by Robert Bly, The Call Away. A cold wind flows over the cornfields. Fleets of blackbirds ride that ocean. I want to be out of here, go out, outdoors, anywhere in wind. My back against a shed wall, I settle down where no one can find me. I stare out at the box elder leaves, moving frond-like in that mysterious water. What is it that I want? What is it that I want? Not money, not a large desk, not a house with 10 rooms. This is what I want to do, to sit here, to take no part, to be called away by wind. I want to go the new way, build a shack with one door, sit against the door frame. After 20 years, you will see on my face the same expression you see in the grass. <clears throat>